It felt like it had been a long week, and it was only Monday. Jen was out of town with work, so I'd been doing the solo parenting thing. They are seven and five now, so it's a lot easier than it has been, but it's still intense. Sierra's getting homework from school. I have to supervise, or everything will end up covered in glitter, and probably shaped like a hat and Blaze is very resistant to cleaning up after himself especially after he's gone full Tasmanian devil around the house and it's you know will take a long time to get stuff back in order anyway the kids were finally in bed happy warm and peaceful sailing off to the land of dreams and I well I should have been working on the podcast but instead I was just sort of bumbling around in a sort of ADHD recreational time funk. I was having a little whiskey and I was passively following some funny Twitter threads growing up around the hashtag OKBoomer and the radio was on some jazz. And I was also flicking through the latest edition of Juggling the Void, the magazine for nihilist street performers. It was the holiday special and I'd just read an article on Jewish Satanists and the problems they face. Like if you uh, turn the Hanukkah candle upside down, it just looks like a rake. Those Jewish Satanists have it tough. And then it happened. This is a public safety alert. There has been an emergency recall of all lemon assimilation personal hygiene products across the District, Maryland, and Virginia. If you or a family member have been exposed in the last six months, please contact Emergency Medical Services. Symptoms may include oral and visual hallucinations, anxiety, euphoria, skin pigmentation, blood clots, hearing loss, ball ache, nip dangle, temporal spastesis, and rapid ganglion growth abnormalities. Rapid ganglion growth abnormalities? In your home, please place them in a fireproof container and store in a safe, dry, and secluded area away from children and animals. Contact the EPA hotline at 888-694-7211 to arrange for safe pickup and disposal. May God have mercy on us all. I felt sick. I hadn't got around to checking the recall information my mother-in-law had sent me last week. It had just slipped my mind and frankly, yes, I did think she was a worrywart. Quickly I pulled up the email. Oh fucking fuck. Store in a fireproof container away from children and animals? The bathroom was down the hall next to the kids' rooms. I was suddenly aware of the smell of lemons. The house had smelt like lemons for months now. I'd smelt like lemons for months. We were all so used to it that it didn't even register to us no more. Just how toxic was this stuff? Seek me. 
medical services in case of exposure. Did they mean if I got any in my eyes or mouth, or was it just any contact at all? It was shower gel. I'd been bathing in it every day. What about smelling it? I began to search online, and I clicked through a few horrible videos. Then there was one on YouTube from an orphanage in Michigan. A room full of kids, some as young as three or four, gathered around the shower gel in the fire hydrant container that we had. Their eyes were yellow. Some of them had strange growths coming from their necks. Some of their heads were puckering. Oh, God, no! I ran to the bathroom, ripped the thing off the wall and rushed outside. Where to put it? There was a plastic bucket in the shed, it would have to do for now. My hands fumbled at the padlock. Damn. What if the kids... What if I... I put it out of my mind and locked up the shed and went back in the house. What was I going to tell Jen? In the past few days I'd noticed a strange, hard lump forming on my neck. drama podcast today with a sub theme of all the shows today having been bought or made for television we're in a new golden age of radio drama according to the chicago tribune the la times the washington post etc etc and so goes a number of other articles remarking on the podcasting boom as it relates particularly to some shows that have been picked up and transferred to television, which is apparently a thing everyone in the golden age of radio drama would want. Yeah, I know, it doesn't quite make total sense when you put it like that. Well, video killed the radio star before, so that's why, and the suffocating hierarchy of money or something. But the thing is, um, we are actually in a golden age of radio drama and podcasting, But it's not quite because of the shows they're going to be pushing on you through all the new top-pick drama lists you may read in the mainstream media. It's uh, actually the golden age, perhaps a little more because of the drama shows I'll be reviewing next week. But today, we need to start with these shows. And we're going to start right now with Limetown, since that makes the most chronological sense in current drama history. Limetown is a podcast from Zach Akins and Skip Browkey from Tuart Productions, and it came out in July 2015. And it was one of those shows that benefited hugely from the podcast listener surge that occurred when This American's Life serial podcast happened. And these Limetown guys 
did a really smart thing. They brought out their show and listed it in the Apple Podcast directory as true crime. A really brilliant move. I mean, it's up there with Orson Welles not announcing War of the World as a Mercury Theatre radio play when it first went on air, but just continued on from the news broadcast that went before it and comfortably sounded like the Holcomb news spool of the day to the point that people thought uh, we were actually being invaded by Martians. So people, and a lot of people, went, oh, I like cereal, that made my commute better. It was a deeply thoughtful and considered work of journalism. Such a refreshing change from all the regular shit I'm being served up. So what's next? Maybe something else real and engaging. Maybe another true crime investigation show. And then wham! Right then, they clicked on the audio drama Limetown. And suddenly, they're listening to a very decent first few episodes of an NPR-type sounding reporter. This time, a reporter called Leah Haddock from American Public Radio, not National Public Radio. And she began a news investigation documentary show that uh, was supposedly researching the weirdly overlooked disappearance of more than 300 people at a cult-like neuroscience research facility in Tennessee. So the protagonist reporter, voiced impeccably by uh, Annie Sage Whitehurst, heads off uh, on this journalistic mission trying to uncover the truth that is out there. And from checking out the uh, Reddit threads and fan groups of the time from 2015, there were actually a fair number of people asking in that early period uh, for three or four episodes whether or not Limetown was a real event. And in fact, Is Limetime Real is one of the top Google hits you get even today. And the first few episodes are pretty good. But honestly, I, I don't know what people are smoking because it's very clearly audio drama untethered from reality. I guess there are just some very credulous people out there. Uh, personally, I blame the church for making people incapable of telling clear fact from fiction. But you might have your own ideas. But I'd say, obviously, if you're implanted at birth with a big sacred lodestone of gibberish and have to spend time developing and juggling the cognitive dissonances that plague you trying to maintain the fantasy, it's just easy to stop thinking and just lie down and believe any old bollocks. So anyway, big props to the creators for forming two-up productions and slam-dunking big time with the old War of the Worlds trick drama play. And the show itself, the first season anyway, is well-produced, well-acted, with good sound design. But after the first few episodes, it starts to unravel script-wise, as the show explores the creepy cult-like Limetown research facility and its aftermath, and the discovery of uh, hitherto unheard from disappeared survivors. It's a lot like X-Files, and very much a retread of the Dharma Initiative from Lost, with a similarly shaky drip-by-tedious-drip secret discovery revelation mechanic. And it uses a lot of manipulative cliffhanger techniques uh, in which Leah Haddock stumbles about quite amazingly walking into meetings with supporting characters who have a few minutes either side of a commercial to deliver their shtick before reluctantly delivering a bit more information on the secret MacGuffin uh, that, if you're interested and hooked, you're wanting to find out about. 
you know the routine. It's like, I'm supporting cast number four. I'm a black storefront preacher, and I drink moonshine and have a kooky take on the gospel. No, wait, I'm supporting cast number five. I'm a crazy woman on the run from things I can't explain. But I can still give you the next frustratingly vague clue about the MacGuffin. Anyway, the first season of Limetown was a big hit, and then they succumbed to the popular and trending Marvel Universe playbook, whereby it becomes totally acceptable these days when you can't be bothered thinking up a good plot to just suddenly out people as having magic powers. And they did another smart and savvy cast-generating thing. They produced a book, and they hardcore pushed it as being key to understanding what's going to go on in season two and about this time the uh, reddit and fan threads on the show start to tank with uh, people buying the book and realizing it's a hot mess and they've been a bit cheated on the original journalistic story because spoiler alert magic powers so what happened then uh, season two hit and they have sold the show to facebook live tv whatever the fuck that is uh, it's now starring jessica beale whoever that is um, but we're supposed to be impressed because, again, I don't know, um, we're all supposed to be impressed by money and fame since we live in a plutocracy. And, I, you know, honestly, I don't know Jessica Beale. She's probably very good. Um, but I do hope they took care of their original actor. So, uh, Limetown, it's a hit show that you will hear about, and it will rightly have its place in podcasting history. So Limetown gets five stars. No thumbs up, because they didn't follow through with the quality, and people were a bit pissed at that. Uh, some cash. And a secret. Psst. Come here. Facebook TV isn't a thing. Okay, next up is Homecoming from Gimlet Media. I know, I've reviewed one from Gimlet before. Uh, the Ballad of Billy Bowles. And while I am going to be trying to throw more light on the great, uh, smaller, independent and unknown productions that are out there, I do feel I've got to cover these big shows to try and be part of the conversation as I'm just getting up and running myself. And there are important pieces in the podcast firmament. Sorry. Anyway, when I was at the uh, podcast festival in Austin, uh, a couple of the head honchos at Libsyn, which is one of the oldest and most well-established podcast hosts there are, were very, they were very scathing of Spotify buying Gimlet Media for what they considered a ridiculous $230 million. I didn't quite understand their take on it, really. I think they came off as a bit jealous, to be honest, that uh, Spotify had also thrown another 100 million acquiring Anchor, uh, which was one of their hosting platform competitors, while their share price is uh, bumbling along and their shareholders are getting restless, uh, hoping for a big blowout acquisition windfall from someone like Spotify, perhaps. Um, so let's see, Spotify buys Gimlet for seemingly silly money, $230 million. Okay, let's just take a minute and try and conceive what that cash is, because I think it's important not to fall into the trap of just mindlessly flipping these numbers off, because I think that's kind of part of the form of the hypnotic domination of us by the plutocracy, not to really think about money uh, in any sort of comparative depth. 
So um, $230 million, what does that buy you? It's about the same as what our military spend guarding the oil fields of Iraq in one day. Or maybe you could see it as the yearly wage of 4,000 teachers at the national average or the yearly wage of 10,000 teachers from uh, Mississippi, West Virginia or Chicago. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of money, 230 million. If you're the NRA flush with Russian attack money trying to destabilize the USA, it'll buy you about 23 Republican senators for a couple of years. Now, remember people, there's links to everything that I say in the transcript. So yeah, 230 million, it's a lot of money or not, depending on if you're buying teachers, bombs or senators. It certainly looks like a lot of money, when you're buying podcasts. But I will say that the purchase of Gimlet by Spotify is clearly starting to prove to be a good investment in terms of quality content. Fast forward now to Homecoming, their first scripted podcast, which began in 2016 uh, with a rock star cast. Catherine Keener, David Schwimmer, David Cross, and Amy Sedaris. And the sound design is excellent, but what puts it above Limetown right away is the script quality by creators Eli Horowitz and Mika Bloomberg. And they really give the narrative time to grow, and they also know how to play to the audio medium strengths by setting a lot of the action intense and funny phone calls and messages. It's drama, so you need conflict, and one of the easiest and best ways to do that in audio drama is to have two people arguing. Um, it's just one of the easiest ways to engage the listener while also moving the narrative forward. And they don't overuse cliffhangers like Limetown does. The show itself is about a shady company experimenting on returning war veterans and I'm not really going to say any more because I don't want to spoil it in case you want to give it a listen. Because it wouldn't be a waste of your time if you chose to do so. But rest assured, it doesn't lead you up the garden path and mug you with magic superpowers or by suddenly pretending it's all a dream. But if you do listen, and I think this is key to enjoying audio drama... Please curl up with the show in the dark. Um, I think it may get a bit lost in the car or at the gym. There are three seasons, but it's really only two seasons. Twelve episodes total, and Homecoming gets five stars. Two thumbs up. The sound of returning war veterans being killed outside the White House during the bonus riots. Police are entering the first of a score of old buildings appropriated by bonus seekers to clear them out. and a Judas. Judas! Because they are so pleased with themselves to have sold a show stacked with TV stars to a TV company um, that they've basically just put out the third season of the podcast as a big advert for the TV show. Okay, next up is what I think is Gimlet's second foray into audio drama, and the show is called The Horror of Dolores Roach. So the show follows the arrival of Dolores Roach back home to New York City after a 16-year stint in jail for selling weed. And she arrives home from this egregious incarceration to find herself all alone in a very altered and gentrified neighborhood without the proverbial pot to piss in. And 
even the drug that she was incarcerated for dealing is now pretty much everywhere and gentrified by white people like a very sick joke. Fortunately, she finds a sympathetic former weed client in the last vestige of the old neighbourhood, an empanada shop, and the owner of the shop, Lewis, gives her a little space to try and get herself together. And so it begins. It is a wonderful spin on the Sweeney Todd story, taking in gentrification and the cultural cannibalism of rich white folks, and you embark on a very gruesome descent into actual cannibalism that becomes a sort of joyous rebellion at times, because you're kind of happy with some of the folks that end up in the muy local empanada. Personally, I'd prefer it if they'd have targeted uh, Trumpian New York real estate moguls, rather than the rich Jewish moneylender types that they do chop up and eat. But then again, I'm just super sensitive to stuff like that, as our nation descends into full-on Nazification, and the racial hate crime index is at an all-time high. It is written and directed by Aaron Mark, in line with the sub-theme. Yes, it is already in production to make a TV crossover, which is going to be interesting because a lot of what makes this podcast good are really the strengths of the radio medium itself. Utilising the theatre of the mind, uh, which is a richer screen than the one projected uh, in Through the Eyes. I'm guessing the TV show will have the name of the podcast and the general Sweeney Todd theme, but they're not going to be allowed to go to the places the podcast goes. For example, none of the bizarre sex as told in this show can possibly make it onto TV as graphically as it does in the podcast. The lead is played by the superb Daphne Rubin Vega. Now, if her voice was a drink, it would be a luxury aged mezcal, uh, drunk from a crystal goblet in the shape of Mark Twain's skull. And the story does have a lot of straight-up monologuing, but it's solid and well-written, and the sound design is superb, as I'm now expecting from a Gimlet show. I mean, seriously, the score by Alison Leighton Brown is an absolute thing of beauty. It's a score. It does what it needs to. It doesn't intrude. It's definitely in the background, but it also really builds and adds to the show perfectly. It's like a, you know, you've got like a spine-tingling heartbeat bass riff that is interlaced with super spare and seductive percussive moments. It's just exceptional. Now, every episode begins with a warning about adult sex and violence, and after listening to the first episode, you almost brush it off. Uh, But no, this show really does get into some sick and freaky shit. So beware, people. It really uses the intimacy and freedom of the podcast medium to go where other media cannot go. So, listeners, beware. But if you like horror in all its forms, this is a must-listen. The Horror of Dolores Roach. Gets five stars. Two thumbs up. Some mystery meat. Mm. And a saucy jack. You're a naughty one. Saucy jack. You're a haughty one. Saucy jack. Right. Okay. Last show. The last one. Blackout. Now, this is a bit weird and maybe kind of depressing for podcasting as a whole. It hasn't made the jump to TV yet, but it clearly sees itself as the next show that will. In fact, it's a total Frankenstein production. It's an unsold TV script that has been cut up and rejigged 
in a Los Angeles chop shop and then shackled to a superstar to provide an engine of likes, reviews and attention in our algorithm-driven content marketplace. The star in question is Mr. Robot, Academy Award winner uh, Rami Malek. Why would he do this? I really don't know. I mean, there can't be any shortage of options for him. Um, and I, but I will say, it does uh, look at first like this is a choice role. And I guess the demands and cheapness of a podcast turnaround uh, were probably very appealing to him. I'm, I'm guessing he's probably even been given a piece of the podcast production company Chop Shop that is attempting this daylight robbery. And by that I mean trying to grab some of the big podcasting cash pie that is being thrown around at the moment. They're not the only ones, and I suppose there's nothing necessarily wrong with that in our capitalist extremist culture. Overall, I'm not sure where I sit on the arrival of uh, superstars in podcasts. I mean, as with every, everything, it depends on the work. I mean, I'm super glad we have more Ron Burgundy from Will Farrell. On the other hand, I'm not so much interested in looking in Paul F. Tompkins' fridge, though I am a fan of his stuff. I guess if the work the uh, famous person is doing has artistic merit and heart, then awesome. Um, but if they are just trying to spam the marketplace with their brand, they should just fuck back off to TV. I mean, that Sir Ian McKellen podcast where he's taking calls from people trying to guess what he is. I mean, I love Sir Ian. He's a great actor. And he's actually the most famous person to have come from my uh, small hometown in England. But what he's trying to do with his podcast, I have no idea. It's like a one-sided version of charades or something. I hope it isn't the first signs of dementia. I mean, he is getting on a bit, the old boy. And I know he had some trouble uh, when they <laughs> forgot about him and left him improvising with the Balrog for uh, three days and four nights on that uh, digital green screen stage while they were filming The Fellowship. But I don't know. Let's say the jury's out on superstars becoming podcasters. Okay, so back to Blackout. The podcast is the story of a classic rock DJ on a community radio station in upstate New Hampshire who gets shot at for some reason uh, minutes before some kind of actual Luddite coup against the power grid covering the whole of the USA, hence the show's title. So he's shot, but maybe not that badly. Yes, the bad writing begins very early with a frustrating lack of specificity, which you can get away with differently in the visual medium, but it's just bizarre in a sound drama. And he's obsessed with trying to stay on air on this rock station for some reason. Um, which is odd, because he's utterly clueless and has no particular information or charismatic radio skills to speak of. And he also has a stereotypical family drama um, to navigate amidst the blackout in a Rick Grimes is injured but must try and go and save his son who is camping in the dark and scary woods. Again, yeah, the thing about those injured hero exerting their last ounce of energy to get the McGubbins is that they work very easily on TV because they can be sold quickly as a visual thing. We can see the blood and the exhausted strain on the hero who might pass out at any moment. 
but how do you do this on radio drama? You need a narrator or constant clunky prompts from a supporting cast to carry this off. Or maybe you just don't need to tell this tedious type of story over and over. That's what TV's for. What also helps with telling this kind of story is establishing the hero's credentials as a hero, which they also don't bother to do in this podcast. So part of the time you're thinking, why is this independent radio DJ pretending to be John McClane from Die Hard? Have they missed something? Or am I listening to a TV show that is happening elsewhere in another room and I'm just supposed to imagine the bad TV show out of all the other bad TV show they've figured they've already polluted my mind with. The saying is that a picture is worth a thousand words, but that's only true to someone who has a big vocabulary to begin with. And if the culture has become illiterate and dumbed down to the point of ignorance, then I suppose this can pass as a worthy piece of drama. And it's also like the script forgets that he's been shot in the first episode. It's really quite funny. I mean, at least once or twice a show, they have to remind you, the listener, and also and almost themselves that he was shot. It's so clear it was made for TV. It's just TV script writing 101. You know, you've got to have your inciting incident by the end of page 102. So yeah, the blackout continues. Uh, the owner of the radio station is quite fortunately a survivalist with a huge cave of supplies batteries and a generator and whatnot so they can stay on the air i mean what a colossal pile of bollocks nobody is listening to this fucking station i can tell you that right now then you have your regular uh, reoccurring crop of stock supporting characters just like limetown supporting character number eight suspicious woods hermit with traditional christian values as pertains to the gender roles or supporting character number nine Canadian female Mountie on border, who is really nice in a Canadian way, but will suddenly shoot you because she has her orders, damn it. And this show goes further than Limetown and adds to the offences of Limetown with heavy-handed moralising of what community values should be in an age of Trump wall-building, with the town actually deciding somehow to build a wall uh, to wall itself off from the world, uh, presumably to keep all their ridiculous hammy New England accents and ideas bottled up until they live free and die. Now, I've spent some good time in New Hampshire, not in the town of Berlin, which is a real border town where the show is set, um, but I'd be pretty insulted if I was a resident there. And they probably will be once the glow of the star shimmer from Rami Malek has worn off. You know, the, the moralising is so utterly surface. It basically boils down to, hey, everyone, let's try not to be Nazis. Which, you know, I suppose is something. Um, but it's just surface. It doesn't go deep enough to actually attempt to understand or challenge the dominant plutocracy or the urgent need for systematic reform of the entire justice system due to blatant racial bias, and on and on. And just when you think the writing can't get any more cliched and empty, it descends beyond the level of the worst daytime TV soap opera, with uh, character arc revelations like, Remember the time we went to the hockey game in Peterborough, Dad? You didn't even come to watch me play! Screams, angry white kid standard supporting actor number six. 
So will this work? Will this hasty bid to try and recycle an unsold TV script into a podcast to use it as a sneaky backdoor to get it actually made into the TV show they always wanted it to be? What do you think? Yeah, of course it will. The stardust of Remy Malik has already blown it to the top of the nominee list in iHeartRadio's Best Drama Podcast Awards. And they generated 20,000 positive reviews on Apple in just a couple of months. I mean, if reviews are legitimate and not bot-farmed from Poland. And, you know, the writer is already going around saying things like, Writing for podcasts is very different from TV. Yeah, no fucking fooling, but you clearly haven't got a clue about it. Um, this this is probably the most annoying thing for me, um, because the writer, as George Saunders puts it in his brilliant essay, The Braindead Megaphone, is basically putting an intelligence ceiling on the party. I think that's the big fear I have, that shows like this will come in and take over and put an intelligence ceiling on the whole podcast party. Mm, but in conclusion, maybe I'm a little bit harsh on this one. Um, I do actually wish them the best. Um, I wish they'd sold it to TV straight away to Hulu or Facebook Live or whatever, then I wouldn't have had to spend any time with them at all. So, Blackout Gets, one star, no thumbs up, a slow hand clap, and some uh, dubious anachronistic freestyle moralizing from America's favorite cop, Joe Friday. We all know a Negro resents being called boy, so would I for that matter. And if we use that term, he's probably going to get mad and probably want to fight. Now, what's the sense in antagonizing somebody when you know how to avoid it? Leave them with a good taste in their mouth and don't forget who you're working for. It's the people's laws you enforce, not yours. Swinging in the backyard. Pull up in your fast car. Whistling my name. Open up a beer. And you say get over here and play a video game. York State judge has ordered President Donald Trump to pay two million dollars in damages for misusing funds from his charity wow. to help fund his 2016 campaign. In her decision, so President Bonespurs has been convicted of stealing money from veterans via his fake charity. And then literally, days later, the Trump crime family, with all their goose-stepping Republican enablers, are out doing Remembrance Day photo propaganda ops, without any mention of this actual 
theft from veterans. It's crazy. The Trump Foundation agreed to dissolve back in December. Am I the road outside your home? Or sat in a garden? Am I a gnome? Am I the wind? Am I the air? Am I your favorite rocking chair? Am I a fly? Am I a pie? You tell me, what am I? Greetings. I am Sir Ian McKellen, and I will give you one million pounds if you can guess what I am. Welcome back. Episode 12. It is a lovely sunny day, quite dazzlingly beautiful. It's hard to imagine how a day could get any better. Unless, of course, you can guess what I am. Line 1. Hello? Yes, hello, this is Ian. Is it really you? Yes, it is me. Can you guess what I am? Are you a wizard? <laughs> no, I I am not a wizard. And um, I don't know if you've been listening... But I'm I'm definitely not a wizard. That's now that's a free one, and that doesn't doesn't narrow it down much. But uh, it's uh, something. So so not a wizard. Next. Are you Gandalf the Grey? No, that's kind of like guessing that I was a wizard. Come on, people! I thought we were getting the hang of this last week. I really I really thought we were breaking through. So no no, I'm not Gandalf. I'm I'm not a wizard. I'm not Magneto. Um, you need to guess what I am. Okay, let's try this again. Next. In the year 2050, I will be 56 years old. Yet, right now, the average age of this 52nd Parliament is 49 years old. Okay, Boomer. Uh, current political institutions have proven themselves incompetent of thinking outside of a short political term. Two, one, two, one, two. <laughs> okay, I was just uh, recently heckled at a stand-up gig. I was uh, given the old okay boomer treatment. Um, I'm not a boomer, as I explained at the time. I know uh, looks can be confusing because I like jazz and uh, sometimes wear a fedora. But I would like to go on record and say that I'm not a boomer. I'm Generation X. I know it's confusing, but the generational epochs don't go boomer, millennial, civil war soldier, ancient Roman, caveman. There's a few more generations in there. Also, let's not get carried away, people, thinking that all boomers are bad. Um, I think there are a lot of great boomers out there. You know, David Bowie was a boomer. Jane Fonda is a boomer. It's probably like it is with lawyers, you know. It's the 99% that give the 1% a bad name. And remember, boomers did get on board with all the new technology that's been happening. And in fact, it was Mark Zuckerberg, a millennial, that force-fed them Russian propaganda that turned them into climate change-denying Nazis. You know, let's not generalise. It's, it's not a generational debate we need. It's a class consciousness debate. That's why I recommend you don't talk politics over the Thanksgiving dinner, talk economics, talk cost of education 
versus opportunity to own a house and start a business and afford healthcare. Talk about the return on investment for the cost of an education. Talk about the gig economy. Talk about bankruptcy laws that favour the wealthy, but shackle a debt burden around the necks of the rest of us. I think, you know, if you start framing the conversation in these terms, you're not going to have that many arguments. You'll find yourself agreeing on a lot of stuff. Because you're not walking into the talk radio and Fox News Republican talking points. Talk about Jane Fonda. I mean, she just moved out here to D.C. and has been deliberately getting arrested outside the White House in the Fire Alarm Friday protests. Four times so far. And she was just recently joined uh, by Catherine Keener, Ted Danson and the uh, Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream guys. Yeah, it is a bit of a circus down there, but at least it's action. And you've got to admit, it's uh, it's a better use of their celebrity than the usual adore-me, fame-spamming bullshit most of them get up to. And it's important. These are boomers using their time and wealth to get on the street and try and change things, as opposed to boomers sitting in their retirement homes in Florida on Medicaid, shrugging their shoulders that 70,000 immigrant kids have been locked up at the border and held as income generators for Trump-sponsored private prisons. Bit of a, a bit of a harsh juxtaposition there. I mean, and it is possible that they just don't know this is going on. But I think it's best we don't get sidetracked into generational infighting. I think that's what they're very good at now, boosting the most divisive aspects of our imagined tribal identities to distract us from the actual causes that unite us. Killing and eating the rich. <laughs> um, you know, we're at a point in time where retweeting the depressing and distressing facts of our time and arguing with people on the internet isn't, isn't enough. If you are inspired by the famous civil rights movement of the past, then it's time to live up to it. There are a lot of people who gave up a couple of years of their lives to be freedom riders on buses throughout the South. Yes, they got cracked rids from KKK police forces a bit. Yes, they spent a few nights in jail. But they won. They took on Jim Crow segregation policies head-on, put their bodies on the line, they lived through it, and they've got amazing stories to tell. They changed the world for the better. And I've met a bunch of freedom writers, and yes, they told me they were so scared at times, they thought they were going to shit their pants, but they did it anyway. And what a life. What stories. What true heroes. Better that than sitting in Starbucks surfing the meme culture. It's time to exercise our First Amendment rights now. I mean, they can't lock us all up. Anyway, that's a wrap. Yes, I am very worried about what Jen's going to say about the shower gel when she gets back. I'm not sure I'm going to show her that YouTube video. Um, but uh, she's not back for a couple of days. I'm going to make sure the kids are okay, get them to the doctors. And uh, there's been no fatalities, that's one thing. I'm going to be reviewing more drama shows next week. Do you think I was a little bit too hard on Limetown and Blackout? If so, please drop me a line. Head to the website, andyspodcasterpodcastingpodcast.com. And if you like what I'm doing, and you want to help out, you can buy me a coffee. There's a link on the website, just hit that button. 
Podcaster Podcasting Podcast is sponsored by the American Shoe Council. Over 40,000 years of bipedal history. Shoes. How else are you going to protect your feet? And hedge, buddy. Please, I'm really sorry. Uh, give us a call, man. It's silly. It's silly. The jazz is provided by Mario Roms Interzone. I don't know who's providing your jazz, but you should think about switching to these cats. Have a great rest of your week. Bye.